The state is one of a complex topic, and one that is not usually discussed in today's society. But when the state is actually discussed, it usually uses the basic definition of a nation or territory considered as an organized political community under one government. The state is way more complex than the definition shows it to be. But the most common debate of the state itself is the origin of the state. The seven theories of the origin of the state is the evolutionary theory, social contract theory, force theory, the divine right theory, patriarchal theory, matriarchal theory, and Marxian theory. For today, I'll talk about the evolutionary, social contract, force, and divine right theory. And I'll talk about the patriarchal, matriarchal, and Marxian theory in part two of the state documentary. So this segues into the evolutionary theory, which holds the view that the state has originated through a gradual evolutionary process, that the state is neither the handiwork of God, nor the result of a superior physical force, nor the creation of a revolution or a contract, nor the mere expansion of family. The evolution of the state would start at the tribal state, where roaming tribes generally settled down in regions where nature was bountiful and responsive to needs of man. These states were essentially power and property states built on wealth and military force. Each tried to expand and dominate others. Wars and instability was the order of the day. The next stage is the city-state, which is a political system consisting of an independent city having sovereignty over continuous territory and serving as a center and leader of political, economic, and cultural life. The term has been applied especially to the cities of ancient Greece, Phoenicia, and ancient Italy and medieval Italy. The, the city-state leads into what I like to consider the Roman Empire itself when it comes into Western civilization, which by the close of the first century BC, the Greek system of government came to be replaced by the world. The Roman Empire and the entire Western world was united under a single political regime. The next stage is the feudal state, which is a political and economic system of Europe from the 9th century to about the 15th century, based upon the holding of all land in fief or fee and the resulting relation of lord to vassal and characterized by homage, legal and military service attendance, and forfeiture. The feudal state leads to, obviously, the Renaissance and Reformation, which was the period from the 14th century to the 16th century. The Renaissance implied the revival of classical learning and involved the traditional movement in Europe, which changed the medieval outlook into a one of modernity. With the coming of the Reformation, which can be described as an indirect result of the Renaissance itself, further gave strength to the spirit and forces of nationalism. And the last stage, which most are familiar with, is the nation-state. The nation-state fuses two principles. The principle of state sovereignty, first articulated in the Peace of Westphalia, in 1648, sorry for the atrocious pronunciation, which recognizes the right of states to govern their territory without external interference, and the principle of national sovereignty, which recognizes the right of national communities to govern themselves. National sovereignty, in turn, is based on the moral philosophical principle of popular sovereignty, according to which states belong to their peoples. The latter principle implies that legitimate rule of a state requires some sort of consent by the people. That requirement does not mean, however, that all nation-states are democratic. Indeed, many authoritarian rulers have presented themselves both to the outside world of states and internally to the people under their rule, as ruling in the name of a sovereign nation. This concludes the evolutionary theory of the state. Social contract theory follows the view that a person's moral political obligations 
are dependent upon a contract or agreement among them to form the society in which they live. Social contract theory is nearly as old as philosophy itself. We see Socrates argue something quite like a social contract argument to explain to Crito why he must remain in prison and accept the death penalty. Socrates makes a compelling argument in which he personifies the laws of Athens and speaking in their voice explains that he has acquired an overwhelming obligation to obey the laws which they have made his entire way of life and even the fact of his very existence possible. Socrates' life and the way in which that life has flourished in Athens are dependent upon the law. Importantly, however, this relationship between citizens and the laws of the city are not coerced. Citizens, once they have grown up and have seen how the city conducts itself, can choose whether to leave, taking their property with them, or to stay. Staying implies an agreement to abide by the laws and accept the punishments that they mete out. Socrates asserts that he must keep to this agreement, that he has made and, ob and obey the laws. In this case, by staying and accepting the death penalty, importantly, the contract described by Socrates is an implicit one. It is implied by his choice to stay in Athens, even though he is free to leave. Within the social contract theory, we have three different interpretations. These three interpretations can be divided into three philosophers, Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, and Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Thomas Hobbes' theory of social contracts supports absolute sovereign without giving any value of it to individuals. Hobbes believed that the only true and correct form of government was the absolute monarchy. He argued this most forcefully in his work Leviathan. This belief stemmed from the central tenet of Hobbes' natural philosophy that human beings are at their core selfish creatures. John Locke's theory of the social contract theory. John Locke's theory of the social contract was the idea that life, liberty, and property are given to us by nature and shouldn't be taken away. Locke's theory states that people form governments in order to protect these rights, but in order for that to work, people have to follow the laws the government makes. Roseo has two distinct social contract theories. The first is found in his essay, Discourse on the Origin and Foundations of Inequality Among Men, commonly referred to as the second discourse, and is an account of the moral and political evolution of human beings over time, from a state of nature to modern society. As such, it contains his naturalized account of the social contract, which he sees as very problematic. The second is the normative or idealized theory of social contract and is meant to provide the means by which to alleviate the problems that modern society has created for us as laid out in the social contract by Rosario. This concludes social contract theory, so we get into force theory. This theory proposes that the origin of the state is developed through the use of force. One person or a small group of people claim control over the population in a specific area by force. Once the rule is well established, the state is established. The force or might prevailed over the right in the primitive society. A man physically stronger established his authority over the less strong persons. The strongest person in a tribe is therefore made the chief or leader of that tribe. After establishing the state by subjecting the other people in that place, the chief used his authority in maintaining law and order and defending the state from the aggression from outside. Thus, force was responsible not only for the origin of the state, but for the development of the state also. The theory of force is supported by the German philosophers like Friedrich Hegel, Immanuel Kant, John Bernini, sorry for the atrocious pronunciation, Franz Oppenheimer, and Trotsky. They maintain that war and 
force are the deciding factors in the creation of the state. As Franz Hoppenheimer states, social institution forced by a victorious group of men on a defeated group with the sole purpose of regulating the domain of the victorious group over the vanquished and securing itself against revolts from within and attacks from abroad. The divine right theory is a political and religious doctrine of royal and political legitimacy. It asserts that a monarch is subject to no earthly authority, deriving his right to rule directly from the will of God. The divine origin of the state is seen in the Old Testament of the Bible. There we find St. Paul saying, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The power that be are ordained by God. Whoever resists the power resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. In 1680, Sir Robert Filmer wrote a book entitled The Law of the Free Monarchies, where it stated that Adam was the first king on earth, and the kings subsequent to him are descendants of Adam. In the Mashruti, it is said that when the world was thick in anarchy, the people prayed to God to remedy the condition. God was pleased to appoint Manu to rule over the earth. This concludes part one of the documentary on the state. And in part two, I'll go over the patriarchal, matriarchal, and Marxian theory of the state. And thank you guys for listening, and see you next time.